Lord Jesus, we ask this morning that you would just come and simply meet us where we are. Uh, we come into worship today with a whole another week of experiences, uh, a whole another week of hurts and doubts, a whole another week of uh, triumphs and surprises, Lord, and victories. And so we pray uh, that you would allow us just to clear all of those things from our minds and allow our hearts to dwell on you. Uh, open our eyes and our ears by your Holy Spirit and allow us to just lean in and listen to what you have to say to us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm sure um, a lot of you are probably familiar with uh, this photo that went viral about a month, ag uh, about a month ago. Excuse me. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, what you're seeing is a, a man hugging a woman in court um, who's named Amber Geiger. And maybe that name rings a bell for some of you. Uh, Amber Geiger was a police officer in Dallas, Texas, um, who was found guilty of murder uh, for walking into the, the wrong apartment, the apartment that she claimed she thought was her own, um, and shooting and killing a man in that apartment named Botham Jean, thinking he was an intruder in her apartment. When in fact, she had actually gone to the wrong floor and walked into an apartment that was not her own, and so she actually ended up shooting and killing this man inside of his own apartment as he was just sitting there watching television. Now, obviously, the story is, is tragic on a number of levels, but the man you see hugging her in that photo is Brant Jean, the brother of the very man that she killed. Now, the picture was, was controversial um, on a number of levels with pe people weighing in whether or not the judge right, should have allowed that interaction to happen. Um, certainly the, the racial implications and overtones that exist in a, in a photo like that with all the things that are happening and swirling in our culture are there. Um, questions about the justice system and police and all those things that are, you see in the media day by day by day are all part of the story. But the enduring image that lasted from this trial was this exact photo. And rather than interpret it for you, I'll allow uh, Brant and John himself to interpret what's happening there. And what you're about to see is actually a video um, from the trial where he's addressing Amber Geiger. And so, um, Brandon, if you'd just play that for us, that'd be great. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. 
Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Sorry, every time. Extending forgiveness to people who have hurt us is one of the hardest things that Jesus asks us to do. Because at some point in life, every single one of us, right, will be wronged by somebody. Uh, mistreated by someone that we trust. Betrayed by someone we're close to. Bullied by somebody who has power. Abused by somebody in leadership. Whatever it might be. We all have the potential to be hurt by people in any number of ways. And when we're hurt, right, everything inside of us wants to hold on to this grudge. It wants to hold on to the anger. It wants to become bitter, right, and never forget that feeling because uh, of the person that wronged you. We want to hold on to that because for some reason, unforgiveness feels satisfying, it's like if we hold on to that long enough, right, that the, we're not letting the perpetrator get away with it if we hold on to that feeling for long enough. And yet, throughout the Gospels, right, Jesus commands us over and over and over again to forgive. And there are times in life where that feels like the most difficult thing that Jesus asks us to do, right? It's like, believe in a talking snake, right there with you. Virgin birth, Sure thing. Believe I was raised from the dead? Absolutely. But forgive people that hurt you. That seems like a place where we stop and we say, are you sure, Jesus? <laughs> like, are you sure that I need to do that? And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time exploring this topic of forgiveness. Uh, and before we really get rolling, I just want to give a couple of words of clarification on forgiveness. What do we mean when we talk about forgiveness? Because we have a, a habit sometimes of confusing forgiveness with other things, especially inside of the church. And so when we talk about forgiveness, there's three things that we're not talking about. When we talk about forgiveness, we're not talking about forgetting. We're not talking about condoning. And we're not talking about reconciling. Those are different things. So first, when we talk about forgiving, we're not talking about forgetting. Because the truth of the matter is that there are just some situations, right, and some relationships that we enter into where it is actually dangerous to forget what happened to us. And the process of forgiveness doesn't ask us to move back into a situation where once again we are under threat from those people just because we've been forgiven, right? The Bible affirms this. The Bible talks about this, that there are just some people in our world that are, are toxic and are perverse and are unjust and people that just hate good. But we can forgive the toxic and perverse and unjust person for what they did without being totally naive and just moving right back into the same situation to be hurt again, right? I once heard a pastor say, it's possible to forgive and have a restraining order. 
Those two things are, are possible. Are you with me? Second, when we talk about forgiving, we aren't talking about condoning. And sometimes I think we are hesitant or slow to forgive people for what they've done to us because we feel like if we forgive them, then we're endorsing or condoning what they've done. We don't want to give the impression that we're okay with what happened because we're not. And so when we forgive, it's still okay to call out what happened to us as wrong, as evil, as sinful, as unjust. To point to that time and point to that thing that happened to you and say, say no, that shouldn't have happened to me and here's what's wrong with it. But still be able to forgive what happened and move past it and move beyond it. And third and finally, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Reconciliation is when two different people come together and they agree to repair a broken relationship. And that's a step that's further beyond forgiveness, but it takes two to tango in that case, right? And the truth is, is that it's not always possible to do that. If that person is still destructive, if that person won't admit that they're wrong, if that person is still bent on abuse, or even if that person maybe has passed on and is gone from your life, then in those cases, reconciliation is not a possibility. But forgiveness, forgiving and moving forward, moving past, that's a one-man or one-woman decision. I can give that forgiveness to someone else and move on, regardless of what they have to say about it. And so I don't want us to confuse forgiveness with those three things because it's a, it's a different conversation. Now, I know this morning for some of us, like this is going to be a challenging topic because it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring us face to face with some things and some memories that maybe we don't want to think about. It's going to bring us face to face with some unforgiveness that we're holding on to. But my hope is that as we walk out of here this morning, having talked about this next line in the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That as we walk out of here this morning, each of us would be just a little bit closer to, to being unburdened, to being free from the unforgiveness that we hold on to towards someone, and that all of us would have our hearts a little bit more aligned with where God wants us to be. Now this morning, we're going to talk about Matthew chapter 18, which Mindy read for us just a second ago. Um, but before we jump into that, I want to just clarify some confusion that maybe some of you have around this line in the Lord's Prayer. Some of you uh, probably grew up in the church saying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? Some of you have grown up saying, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, as we say here at Spry Church. Others of you have said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or if you're like me and you go to another church where they say debts, you accidentally say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who debt against us, which makes no sense at all. But I have done that multiple times. And so if you've heard this line of the Lord's Prayer, you may have asked yourself at some point or, or even today, like, why is it different depending on where you are or why is it different depending on who's saying it? And so if you look at the original language that this was written in, if you look at the Greek lang language, what you see is that debt and debtors is actually the closest literal translation that you find. Uh, the Greek word that's used here usually refers to, in the rest of the Greek language, uh, to a financial debt. It's about wages that are owed to someone. And so the, the closest literal translation is debt. But this is kind of a letter of the law versus spirit of the law kind of situation, where, where certainly saying transgressions, certainly saying um, trespasses, saying sins, right? They're all within the realm of what Jesus was trying to get across here when he said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
So you can say any of those things and it's still fine. So don't get too bent up on that. But debt is a good translation, and, and I want us to just kind of sit with that idea for a second um, that Jesus is talking about debt here. Think about your own life when you've been hurt at some time or another or when somebody has wronged you. A lot of the times when we hold a grudge, a lot of times when we fail to forgive, when we're hurt, uh, we feel that way because in our eyes, in our point of view, that person that hurt us owes us a debt. We feel like something has been taken from us, and so now they owe us that thing back, right? Now, I don't know uh, certainly what each of you, every single one of you has dealt with in terms of unforgiveness and, and the, the things that have hurt you, but as one of your pastors, I'm privy to a fair amount of those things. And so as I think about different stories that I've heard, for some of you, it's a very simple thing, and it is financial. Um, somebody took money from you, took possessions from you. You worked for a wage and they didn't give it to you. And so you hold a grudge against that person, that boss, your employer, your friend, whoever it was that took the money and run, ran because they owe you that debt, right? And that's where your unforgiveness comes from. For others of us, it's a little bit more vague, not quite as simple and cut and dry as that. And so you think about something like relationships, and a relationship that you invested a lot of time and energy into that ended up failing. And you look at that person, and you look at that situation, and you say, you owe me that time that you stole from me. Right? Those years that I invested in that relationship that you ended up breaking and betraying, I feel like you are in debt to me for that time. Others of you, you can think of this in terms of people and, and relationships that have been taken from you. Those of you that have experienced a, a spouse leaving you uh, or maybe a custody battle or something like that, right? That there maybe is somebody out there that took a person from your life, a spouse, a boyfriend, girlfriend, a child. And you look at that person with anger in your heart and you say, you took this from me and you owe it back to me. Others, we could say, you know, you stole my headspace, you stole my innocence, you stole my emotions, you stole my love. All of those things, right, come back to this idea that we have unforgiveness that is rooted in a debt that we feel like somebody else owes us. And so that's why Jesus here in this passage, when he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, goes back to this idea of debt, because that really is where the root of this problem lies. So I think one of the best places to explore this idea is in a parable in Matthew chapter 18. And so in Matthew 18, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples about this topic of forgiveness. And as he's talking, Peter comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus a really um, practical question. And probably even a question that maybe came from his, his own life, um, where somebody was hurting him or had hurt him multiple times. And so the question that he asked Jesus is he says, Jesus... How many times do I have to forgive? Good practical question, right? Probably one you've asked at some point or another. Like, how many times do I have to do this with this person? And Peter, you know, thinking that he's going to really impress Jesus and, say, and show him, like, I'm going to show Jesus how forgiving I really am and how much I'm really getting this thing that he's teaching us. Jesus, what about seven times? That sounds like a lot, right? And that's a good, strong, biblical, like, Hebrew number. What about seven times? And Jesus looks at him, and he says, no, sorry, Peter, uh, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, what Jesus is saying here isn't a literal 77, 
It's not like we get to keep like a tally chart, you know, where we say, oh, 76, 77. Okay, get the pipes, get the chains, we're going, and we're going we're gonna to show this guy what's what. No, like you can't, you can't do that. What Jesus is saying is he takes this number that Peter gives of seven, and he says, no, no, 77, as a way of saying, hey, Peter, like your responsibility to forgive as one of my disciples is way bigger, way bigger than you can imagine or you can realize. You might as well not even count because it is far bigger than you think. And so Jesus, as the master teacher, he goes in and he reinforces this teaching through an illustration. And um, here's what he says. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And a few weeks ago, if you were here, I talked about a little bit about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is this place where God's will is always done. And so he says, where God rules, it's like this. Imagine there's a king who was settling accounts with his servants. Okay? So he says there's a king who's settling accounts with his servants. And these people aren't literal slaves, but they're kind of um, middle managers for the king. And so there's this middle manager for the king who has mismanaged the, the king's accounts and mismanaged his money and has gotten into deep, deep debt. Um, and Jesus says that this man owes the king 10,000 talents. How many of you have your paycheck delivered to you in talents every other week? Probably not many of us, right? But a talent is a lot of money. And so to say 10,000 talents is just this absurd amount. Um, 10,000 talents was about the amount of income in taxes for the entire Roman Empire in Jesus' day. It's a lot of money. And so the king looks at this guy, and he says, and he, he, he says you're never going to give me the amount of money that you owe me. Like, you've gotten in so much debt that there is no way that you could pay me back. And so the king looks at him and says, I'm just going to cut my losses. And I'm going to sell you. I'm going to sell your wife. I'm going to sell your children. I'm going to sell all of your possessions to try to just get back a fraction of this money of mine that you have lost. And in response, the servant falls on his knees, and as a last-ditch last effort, he says to the king, he says, have patience with me, I swear I'll repay. And the king knows that that's impossible, because he owes so much. Historically, uh, knowing what we do about a talent, uh, what we know is that it would take uh, the average person about 193,000 years to repay the debt that he owes to the king. And so the king sees this man in this pitiful situation, sees that he has no way out, and he has mercy on him. And he says, not only will I not split up your family, not only will I not sell you and all of the things you own, but I'm going to totally release you from this debt. I'm going to forgive it entirely. You don't owe me a single penny. You are forgiven for this. Now, those of you that maybe have debt now or have had debt in the past, we like this idea, right? Uh, for the first time, you know, I have a mortgage. My wife and I have a mortgage. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel and paying it off. Uh, that light is 28 years away. Um, but there is a light there. We know eventually, God willing and with steady employment, we can pay off our mortgage. But the king is talking about forgiving the equivalent here, the modern day equivalent here, of about $7 billion. And so Jesus is talking in absurdities here, right? To just get across the magnitude of what this man owes to the king. And the king is the king. He's in charge. He doesn't have to forgive this massive debt that the servant 
has taken. But he, by his own choice, by his own grace, his forgiveness, his generosity, he forgives the debt. And so you can imagine the relief, right, and the joy and the excitement that this servant probably felt as he walked out of the king's court, out of the king's chambers. Now what happens next, though, is the twist in the story. And Jesus always has a twist in his stories. And so on his way back to his normal life, this man had just left the king. And as he's pretty much on the way, it's written, he's pretty much on his way out of the court. He runs into another servant. And this servant owes him money. So not to the king, but to this original servant who was forgiven his debt. And this man owes 100 denarii, which is about 100 days' wages. So not nearly as much as the $7 billion that he owes the king, but still not an insignificant amount. And this other indebted servant, he has the same exact reaction. He uses the same exact words that the original servant did. And he says, have patience with me, and I swear I will repay you. Now you would hope, that having just been forgiven for such a huge debt, this man would pay it forward, right? And that he would see that he needs to treat this other servant in the same way that the king treated him. But instead, what he does is he grabs the man by the throat, and he says, pay me what you owe me, and when he can't, he has him thrown into prison until he can repay the debt. And so where he was treated with grace, where he was treated with forgiveness, he treats this man harshly. And when the king hears this, he's irate, and he pulls the original slave back into his court, and he says, you wicked slave, I forgave you your debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have done that and had mercy on your fellow servant who owed you? And so the king overturns the original forgiveness of the debt that he gave him, and he throws him into prison to be tortured until he could repay. And we know, of course, that this man could not repay. In a thousand lifetimes, he could never repay. And so we know he'll be there for the rest of his life. And here's the kicker. And a a pretty um, harsh way to end this parable from Jesus. He says, So my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So the short, simple interpretation of this parable, right? The king represents God. We are the servant. Jesus reminds us here that we are, by our nature, sinful. We are in debt to God. Rewind back to Genesis. What humanity owed God at the beginning was love and trust and relationship. But what God received from us instead, as you read the story of Adam and Eve, was dishonesty and mistrust and disobedience. And so you and I, as humanity, we owe God this debt. And unfortunately, you and I repeat that same story every single day. And so what we have stolen belongs rightfully to God, and so we are in debt. Even the best of you. Even those of you that think that you've done pretty well in life. You don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. You ever hear that? (laughs) You see yourself as a a pretty good person. You've lived a pretty clean life. You're still in deep, deep debt to God. And that's why Jesus chooses that crazy number of 10,000 talents, because it's this insurmountable, absurd amount that we could never hope to repay. 
Uh, because of Christ's death on the cross and the fact that he paid our debt on the cross, right, we live in a time where if we embrace that forgiveness, we can be forgiven. We can have a clean, blank slate before God every single day of our lives because of what Jesus has done. This insurmountable debt that we could never pay has been paid down by Christ himself. Right? That's the essence of the gospel. That is the good news that God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so if you're like me at this point in the parable, that sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty exciting that I was in debt, I asked for forgiveness, and God gave me grace. But the second part of the parable is not quite as uh, happy or shiny. Jesus reminds us that even though we've been forgiven for so much, a lot of us are hesitant to forgive ourselves. And so a lot of us act like the wicked servant here, right? Where, where we hold on to bitterness, where we hold on to anger, we hold on to unforgiveness, and we think about finding that person that hurt us and grabbing them by the neck and saying, pay what you owe is probably like the least violent thing we've thought about doing to that person. I wanted to find a way to illustrate what this looks like visually. So if you give me uh, one second, let me grab something from outside here. I didn't want this big blue monstrosity uh, distracting everybody from worship, but this is a 55-gallon barrel. So what I want you to, to think about is that that 55-gallon barrel is the original debt that is owed to the king, okay? So that $7 billion in modern day, that 10,000 talents, that is this big old barrel. And if you were to compare what is owed to the servant from the other servant, so that 100 denarii, to what is owed originally to the king, it would look like this. One drop from an eyedropper in the bucket. That is the difference in forgiveness that we're talking about in this parable. You and I have been forgiven for this much and infinitely more. And even though what was done to us was hurtful and significant and maybe even changed the direction of our lives, in comparison, it is about one one-thousandth of a drop in the bucket. Not even enough to soak a dust mite. If we want to live the way that Jesus instructs us to live, we cannot go on refusing to forgive people. Regardless of how much they've hurt us, regardless of what they did, and hear me when I say I believe you in what, they, in, in what you say they did. But our responsibility as children of God is to extend to others what God has extended to us in Christ. That's the point of the parable. That you as a follower of Jesus are to forgive every single now, what I hear a lot of you saying internally is, well, that's really hard. <laughs> to which I respond, yeah, it is. Recently, I was talking to somebody uh, about forgiveness, and they said this, and excuse my French, but they said, the more I pray and the more I try to forgive, the more pissed off I get. Maybe some of you have found yourself in that boat before. I think a lot of us think of forgiveness as an act of sheer willpower. Right, that if I grit my teeth and close my eyes and pray really hard enough, then I can forgive. And then we fail. 
and we wake up tomorrow just as hurt and just as angry with that same burden hanging over us, having made no progress. But forgiveness is not something that we can will to happen. Forgiveness itself is an act of faith. It's an act of handing that baggage. We go over to the next slide there, Brandon. It's an act of handing that baggage over to God and saying by faith to him, this is yours. If you think of a criminal trial, right, there's a reason why they never make the victim or somebody in the victim's family the judge in that particular trial. Right? There's always a third party. There's always somebody uh, who can zoom out and see everything in its proper context, somebody who can see without bias. Because that's the kind of person that you want doling out justice, somebody who can see clearly. And that desire that we have for justice is always a good and right thing. And when we're hurt, though, we love to be the ones who sit in that seat. But Scripture says that we are not to occupy that seat, that God is to occupy that seat. In Romans 12, 19, God's, or Paul says this, he says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, judgment and justice and revenge, it's not yours or mine to give. Because at the end of the day, you and the one who hurts you are both debtors. You're both debtors in need of God's forgiveness. And maybe you've never hurt someone to the extent that you have been hurt. But you and I owe debts to God. You and I owe debts to one another. And that makes our judgments flawed. But God, on the other hand, he is the perfect, the wise, the just judge who we can trust to forgive when it's warranted, to punish when it's warranted, and to deliver wrath when it's warranted. But the burden of judgment, the burden of repayment, the burden of retribution is not yours to bear. It is God's. That's why Jesus says at the end of the parable, when the wicked servant is thrown in prison to be tortured until he can repay his debt, that's why he says this. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you if you refuse to forgive your brother or sister. Because when we occupy that seat of judgment, we push God out and we say, you're not doing a good enough job. Let me sit here. Which is an idolatry thing, right? And so your encouragement today is, is to take your hands off the baggage. Take your hands off the debt. Take your hands off the person's imaginary throat. <laughs> and hand them over to God to deal with. At the end of the day, no one can change what was done to you. No one can go back in time and prevent it from happening. And all of the bitterness and anger in the world can't retroactively stop it from occurring, right? But what can be changed is how that thing, how that hurt, how that moment, how that situation affects you going forward. It can continue to be a source of anger, a source of bitterness, a source of disappointment, and a source of hate for you each and every day. Or it can become, by an act of faith, a victory of God's grace in your life. A moment where you recognize how radical God's forgiveness of you really is, 
A moment where you remember that he really is the better judge with whom you can leave that burden and move forward into the future with the acknowledgement that as a former debtor yourself, it is not your job to collect debts from others, but that your responsibility is to forgive with the confidence that the debt that someone owes you is best left with God. Let's pray. Jesus, it's a hard thing to forgive. There's so much within us that wants to withhold that forgiveness because it feels like winning. And we want to win in the situation. But Lord, I ask that you would um, change our vision a little bit and allow us not to fix our eyes on our own victory, but on yours. The victory that you bought for us on the cross, the victory over sin and death that you paid for, and the victory, Lord, that says that we don't have to be burdened and we don't have to be slaves to this unforgiveness and to this hurt that has been done to us, but that you offer us freedom. Jesus, you are the judge. You are the one that sees clearly, and so allow us to just put our faith and our trust in you, drop the baggage at your feet and say, Jesus, you can deal with this way better than I can. Empower each of us, Lord, to do that with all the things that we're holding on to today and allow us to walk out of here in freedom. And so with that in mind, Lord, we pray once again, those words that you taught us to pray that include the words that we talked about today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now I invite